0: Welcome to another of the short Cood Street podcasts, which Jonathan Strahan and I have been doing since March. This is Gary Wolf, and today I'm delighted to be able to spend a few minutes chatting with Crawford Award winner and teacher Stephanie Feldman. How are you today, Stephanie? I'm great. How are you? Well, as well as can be expected. I, I, we were just chatting before, and I, I know you're coping with with virtual kindergarten, which just A year ago would have been a surreal concept, wouldn't
1: it? Yeah, the days have felt longer than I think the entire lockdown.
0: (laughs) And um, well, during the whole period, uh, are you able to actually get any reading done?
1: Yeah, I've actually gotten a lot of reading done, more reading than writing, Uh um, which has been which has been really nice. And I've caught up a lot on um, my reading list. You know, I'm sure you have a list, too, that the list just grows and grows and grows. Oh, yeah. And I in the last. Uh oh gosh how long has it been six months, six um, months? Oh, yeah yeah wow I um I've managed to make a lot of progress on it which is has been nice and uh a comfort during this time
0: well do you find yourself um just trying to go to relaxation familiar kinds of comfort food or do some people see this as an opportunity to go after okay it's it's a big reading project it's it's time to finish the fairy queen or something
1: um, yeah
0: and. Uh, I I talked to somebody who's reading Don Quixote aloud. Um, So where do you fall in this? Do you just uh, find whatever's on the pile that's next to read? Or do you just want to read something that's relaxing and not challenging and not upsetting and maybe not dystopian? Um,
1: I really skip around a lot. And I've never really been one for light comfort reads. Like a friend of mine just asked, you know, she wanted suggestions for a beach read. And I said, you know, I'm really the wrong person to <laughs> ask because there's not much in my reading list that you can describe as kind of light. Um, actually, I was thinking that one of the, the sort of comfort escapist reads for me has been catching up with the Daphne du Maurier books that I, I've been working through. <laughs> to me, that's kind of escapist and, um, and relaxing, even though they're suspense novels.
0: Yeah, there's a new film version coming out of Rebecca, I just noticed.
1: Yeah, I just saw that, too. Well, you know, they're always remaking everything.
0: Right. Yeah. Uh, does she? Uh, I mean, it's, it's interesting because that opening line, last night I dreamt I went to Manderley again, is one of the ones I can't get out of my head. Um, yeah. But um, I'm wondering how some of her other novels hold up because some of them are historical novels, really.
1: Yeah, well, I actually has, I started reading her short fiction, um, which I've been enjoying a lot. I read uh, *The Birds* uh-huh. um, for the first time, and stories like that. And I, I've been reading a lot of shorter works. At first, I thought, "Oh yeah, this is my my chance to read like all of the well, I'll be honest, all the Dickens that I have never been able to get through." <laughs> <laughs> but instead, I've really enjoyed reading short stories and and essays and and poetry. Um, so I've gotten through a lot of a lot of words, but. I like them in smaller doses right now.
0: And you'd never read The Birds before? No. <laughs> <laughs> that must be a strange experience coming to it after the film has become such a part of the culture.
1: Yeah, well, it had been a long time since I saw the film. But, yeah, there are a lot of, you know, pretty significant differences. Right. It's
0: I mean, yeah. You're trying to make a film out of a very almost elliptical short story. Yeah. But um, what else have you been looking at? Du Maurier, I'm trying to think of the other his. I'm trying to think of a couple of other DeMaurier novels. She wrote one kind of science fiction or fantasy novel late in her career, and I can't remember the title of it offhand.
1: Oh, I'll have to look for that. I, I just read um, My Cousin Rachel. Right. Which, um, and, yeah, I have to think of what's next. You know what? Actually, you can probably help me with this, because here's something that is kind of a fun read. I started reading Joan Aiken's uh, Wolves of Willoughby Chase series. Mm-hmm. I read the first two books, and those were – really great and um probably like the closest thing i would get to like a, a light escapist read but i really love her work and it seems like there's not a whole lot that's available in the u.s um I, there's a great collection from small beer um, um, i think a lot of her work is is not available here
0: that's interesting it's uh, I, I was aware of the small beer collection but she was uh as um, as you may or may not know she i think she was a guest at ICFA for many many years ago oh, really and at that time, uh, the Willoughby Chase novels were probably more um, widespread, more more familiar than they are today. Uh, but I, I have to look at that. I wonder if the uh, Golong. I wonder who her British publishers are. But, yeah, I don't know because she's, <laughs> she 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 uses kind of dark elements of folklore, sort of the same way you do occasionally.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, um, yeah, I love that collection. Um, and I also been catching up on. Uh, Angela Carter. Um, And I've I've been reading a lot of nonfiction, too. I just finished a book called Say Nothing uh, by Patrick Radden Keefe, which is about uh, Northern Ireland in the 70s and 80s and up until today, and the IRA. And it's a really fascinating book about about the key figures of the time and, um, you know, state violence, political violence, and Mm -hmm. and how it affects communities, which is, you know, now it feels as relevant as ever.
0: It's, it's an issue again with Brexit now. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, even here watching protests break out and reading about, um, oh, I think it was in the, in the 50s and 60, I think it was the 60s, how a lot of the people that became figures in the IRA started out as nonviolent protesters really committed to following the example of Martin Luther King and, and how they became, how they changed their minds about their their tactics. And mm-hmm. reading about that while, you know, all of the unrest has been unfolding here was, gave me a lot to think about. It's a great book.
0: That's fascinating. Do you find you're not doing that for research? You're just doing that because you're interested in Northern Ireland?
1: Um, I've read about it. There's a Slate article that came out. I don't know when. And it's something like the best 50 nonfiction books of, uh-huh.
0: you
1: know, I don't know, the past 20 years or 25 years. And it was on that list. And I've been reading from that list. And everything is great. So, um, yeah, just it looked interesting to me. And I picked it up. And I'm glad I did. Do you read a
0: lot of nonfiction just for pleasure?
1: Yeah, I do. Um, I didn't used to, but maybe in the last five or six years, I've begun to enjoy it more and more. And um,
0: go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: Oh, um, yeah. I mean, I do. I do a lot of research when I write, but I found that I also, you know, just enjoy reading nonfiction just for pleasure too.
0: Mm Hmm. Well, I mean, it's uh, it's interesting to me to look at the 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 way style works in nonfiction as opposed to fiction. There are some nonfiction readers. I mean, I I, I, might, I find myself reading The New Yorker magazine mostly because it has some of the best written nonfiction in it. And the way a story develops that's a well-researched story, Jill Lepore is a good example with her book on Wonder Woman. Uh, it, you, you, you can structure that something like that like a novel, and yet uh, you're facing a lot of constraints that novelists don't face.
1: Right. I, and I think that the nonfiction that I find really compels me is nonfiction that is a has great profiles and you can read about a great character that is fictional or a great character that's you know a real person and um, feel drawn in and moved and fascinated in in the same ways.
0: Yeah and I always wondered about that especially reading biographies which I used to do some is that you're the biographer is somebody writing about real characters. I'll go back to Jill Lepore with that Wonder Woman book, the strange yeah. guy who invented her. You're, you're, you have to create a character the way a novelist would, but you have to be able to defend everything you say about that character.
1: <laughs> it's, it's true, and it sort of leaves you wondering, too, as the reader, you know, what's the other side of it? I, I just read another book, um, probably from that same slate list, called How to Survive a Plague, about um, the AIDS epidemic, and mostly from the point of view of activists uh, in New York and how they drove research. And um, Dr. Fauci plays a pretty big role in the book. He was not a good guy back then. He was what, not he? a good guy, no. Yeah. And I thought, you no, know, it's weird enough to read about one plague while you're living through another plague. And I thought, what, you know, once again, like, how do I make my reading choices?
0: Right. But
1: I, I definitely didn't enjoy reading about, you know, his. His failures and shortcomings.
0: <laughs> well, let, let, let's assume he learned from them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, let's, let's move on to what you've been working on. I know you've got a, a fairly new story in, in FNSF.
1: Yeah, it's called The Staircase. It just came out in the July, August issue. And um, it's about a group of friends, teenage friends, who go to investigate this um, staircase cut into a hill in their town. It seems to lead to nowhere. But, you know, the story goes, if you walk down, you'll disappear. So, of course, one of them does. And then, of course, yeah, of course. (laughs) Um, And does she disappear? Does she reappear? Was she ever really gone? They're not really sure. But after that, everything kind of unravels for them.
0: Hmm. You like writing about younger people, though, don't you?
1: Yeah. (laughs) More recently, I, I do. Yeah. And I came up with a new idea and I thought, oh, this is good. And I was like, well, this is going to take me completely back into like 12 year olds and 13 year olds, (laughs) which is not something I thought, um, not a direction I thought I was going in. But I guess when you have the idea, you got to follow it.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that um, I think, I think I saw you say this uh, maybe in an interview earlier this year, I guess, that young people are just instinctively good storytellers or at least suckers for good stories.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, storytelling is such an important part of a, a lot of my fiction and how we tell stories and, and how those narratives function in our lives and the stories we tell ourselves and histories mm-hmm. and alternative histories. So, yeah, teenagers are a really good group for that topic.
0: Well, they're, they're, they're certainly willing to buy into urban legends more than I mean, I, I almost wish I had that sense of wonder they had uh, the thing that would make your character walk down that staircase.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I There are all these staircases in my neighborhood, I guess, because it's a pretty old place, um, though it has been, you know, built up more recently. So there, you know, you'll see a house that's, right. I don't know, 300 years old and then a bunch of houses that are 20th century. And I think the big road nearby must have been around for a long time because there are staircases that come down from the house right to the street. And now it's like a 50 mile an hour road wow. and you would never walk up and, and down it. So they just kind of look like staircases to nowhere, and I I find them so eerie and um, evocative. And of course, I would never like pause my life to go stand on one. I mean, they're also on other people's <laughs> property, and I don't want to get hit by a car. But if I was a teenager,
0: <laughs> You'd be, yeah, exactly. That's that, yeah. That, that's kind of my point. Yeah. Um, do you see that as a as a direction you're moving into? Because that that has certainly has overtones of an urban legend about it.
1: Yeah. You mean writing more about. Writing writing more about –
0: well, yeah, either based on urban legends or based on the – I I don't know. I keep wanting to say sense of wonder that that kids have that make them want to believe these things. When I was a kid in a small town in Missouri, there was a a legend about something called the Beeman Monster. I think there was a small town called Beeman nearby. And all it was was people would go out on the road at night, and you'd see a light at the end of the road. I don't know how that got turned into a monster or not. and. Nevertheless, everybody who was 12 and 13 years old had to go out there at midnight and try to see <laughs> the damn light.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> and by the time I was in high school, I was thinking, what was I thinking? You know,
1: <laughs> Well, I think we're always, you know, looking for what's buried and, and what's beyond sort of the ordinary. And I mean, I look at the landscape around me sometimes and, and I, I want to see it as being a little bit more magical or, yeah. or find what's magical and enchanting about it. I mean, I live in the suburbs. So um, I think I was, I've was. i just been trying to see the other side of things. And sometimes that means making things up. And sometimes it means looking for um, the past and, and maybe urban legends, but maybe also folklore from the people who were here before me, you know, mm-hmm. settlers and different cultures and you know, everyone who's been moving around in this in this landscape all this time.
0: Are there other stories or um, even more important, we're going to see something uh, after the angel of losses, which <laughs> made a huge impact on a lot of us who read it. That was, oh, I was, as you. you know, running the Crawford Award that year, but it, it really impressed the jury.
1: Thank you. Uh, I have been working, <laughs> Gary, ever in written so many words. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am working on something now that I hope is going to, gonna see the light of day um but you know i guess it's not up to me it's up to the industry right now so um i i'm glad people remember the angel of losses i hope they'll remember it when uh the new book is ready and out
0: <laughs> well it'll be great to to see it and we'll all look forward to it. we're, we're past our time as usual so i want to again uh, say th- uh, thanks I'm, this is gary wolf it's the good street podcast we've been talking with stephanie feldman and thank you so much stephanie